The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is often used as a cudgel against the gay community. The ill-mannered residents of these ill-fated towns are presented in a strangely homophobic light, or at least that's how it's often interpreted. In actuality, as most scholars will tell you, their real sin is poor hospitality. They literally try to assault a pair of strangers that show up in their town. But none of that is in our text today, which finds Abraham negotiating with God over the fate of these cities. And the real sin here, in my estimation, is the genocide that unfolds, despite God's promise to show mercy. Turns out you can't always trust the promises of the powerful. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 18, 22 through 33, and chapter 19, 27 through 28. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham came near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered, let me take it upon myself to speak to my Lord. I, who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, do not let my Lord be angry if I speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it. If I find 30 there, he said, let me take it upon myself to speak to my Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, do not let my Lord be angry if I speak just one more, once more. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and saw the smoke of the land going up like the smoke of a furnace. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. 
Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I'll give you a hundred bucks for the whole lot, the guy behind the counter told me. I brought a large cardboard box filled with old CDs and DVDs to disc replay, hoping to get a little extra cash. With everything being digital now, for better or worse, this stuff was just wasting away in my basement anyway. I mean, I'd always kind of hoped that it would be of some interest to my boys, much as my brother and I used to enjoy digging through our parents' old records and 8-track tapes. But kids these days don't seem uh, to care very much about analog technology. So the collection that I brought in had a few rarities in it, uh, which is why he'd offered me so much. But even so, you know, it was less than I'd hoped for. I told the guy as much, and I, I told him I'd think about it. Well, the next day, having mulled it over, I decided to take the deal. Selling the rare stuff on eBay just felt like too much work, and the offer wasn't terrible. So I loaded the huge box back into my car again, and I headed back to the store. The same guy was working that day, and I set the box down on the glass counter, and I told him that I'd decided to take up his offer from yesterday. Well, I'm going to give you less today, he said. And I laughed, and he replied, no, I'm actually being serious. <laughs> I was a bit stunned. What? Yeah, I mean, we've got to go through this stuff all over again. But you already gave me a price, I protested. I don't remember what it was, he said. Well, then how do you know it'll be less? I quipped. <laughs> he didn't care much for that. He gave me a hard look, clearly annoyed. Look, I've got to pay my guys to go through all this again, so that cost me money, so you're getting less. And I thought about this for a moment, and it was immediately obvious that this entire argument was full of holes. I mean, the staff are paid by the hour, I assume, to do whatever needs doing. It's not like he was going to pay them extra to tally up my stuff. And furthermore, what if he hadn't even been working today? No one else would have known that I'd come in yesterday and I've gotten the full price. And furthermore, if this was store policy, why didn't he mention it when I told him I'd have to think about the offer the day before? <sighs> Look, I'll see what I can do, he sighed, as if he were doing me some kind of favor. And as I stood there, this guy's mercy, memories from my childhood surfaced. I remembered the employees of the local secondhand video game store that used to make fun of my trade-ins and offer me cents on the dollar for my Nintendo cartridges. Every time I traded something in, I got grief from these guys. And here I was again, a grown man, getting the same attitude. Well, I wasn't going to stand for it <laughs> this time. You know what? I told the guys I picked up the cardboard box. You know, just forget it. You're not getting my copy of Madonna's Immaculate Conception Greatest Hits. So there. I turned around, I walked out of the store without looking back. It felt good. You know, I always feel like I get the short end of the stick in these kinds of negotiations. And I hadn't walked away from the table like that since the guy who sold me my cowboy boots refused to throw the spurs in for free. You know, some people just don't want to haggle. But you don't have to take a raw deal just because it's the only one on the table. With a mind to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain, God seems willing to negotiate on the matter. As the story goes, these places are so rife with 
sin and iniquity that God aims to blow them up. This is somewhat typical of God as portrayed in the book of Genesis, who doesn't take any guff from anybody. This God, Yahweh, in the old time, flooded the, old, the whole earth just a few chapters earlier for the same reason and promised to never do it again. But here we are. Abraham, God's faithful servant, is not entirely comfortable with this plan. Never mind that his nephew, Lot, lives in Sodom. I think he's worried about everyone who lives there, who can't possibly be so terrible as to warrant complete nuclear annihilation. So as we see in our text, Abraham decides to haggle with God. It sort of reads like one of those math problems they give you in school. If there are 50 good people in Sodom and Gomorrah and you take away five, how many cities are going to be destroyed? Now, as I said, God appears willing to cut a deal with Abraham, who manages to strike a pretty good bargain. He talks God all the way down from 50 to 10. If just 10 decent folks can be found in Sodom, God agrees to relent. Promises, promises. I found that you can't always trust promises from people in power who will often just tell you what they think you want to hear. And sure enough, as Abraham wakes up the next morning and returns to the spot where he spoke with God, he sees the smoke rising from the devastated plains, whole cities reduced to rubble and ash. You can only imagine Abraham's frustration and despair in this moment. If you can't trust God to honor a deal, who can you trust? Here's the thing, though. God doesn't break promises, and God doesn't blow up cities. God, as imagined in Genesis, is the product of a very old-school theology that cherished power above all else. Before becoming the patron god of Israel, Yahweh was a storm deity of the Midianites, another tribe of the ancient Levant. And in those times, which could be harsh and barbaric, people didn't want a god of peace and love. They wanted a god that could make the crops grow and smite their enemies, a god of rain and lightning, a god who can and will commit genocide on your behalf. And that's a far cry from Jesus, who teaches us to love our enemies. Sometimes the Bible gets it wrong. When I look for God in this story, my God, our God, love itself, I find God in Abraham, speaking up for the powerless, speaking truth to power, even though power seldom listens. And like most of our so-called leaders, Yahweh just tells Abraham what he wants to hear. The Emergency Management Department of New York City, as you may know, recently released a public service announcement about how to prepare for a nuclear attack. Well, some of the advice it offers isn't bad in the event of a more distant explosion. Get indoors, change your clothes, stay inside until you get the all clear, and so on and so forth. The tone of this thing is ridiculous. So there's been a nuclear attack, the actress on screen tells us, with all the urgency of someone sharing their favorite banana bread recipe. Don't ask how or why, just know that the big one has hit. The whole thing reminds me of Cold War drills that had kids hiding under their desks at school in the event that we got nuked. 
a largely useless exercise designed to give people a false sense of security. And the funniest thing about this commercial, you have to laugh if you don't want to cry, is the end of the thing where the lady says, all right, you've got this. You've got this. It's like she's talking about a job interview or a chemistry test and not a nuclear conflagration a thousand times bigger than Hiroshima. But don't worry. You've got this. Don't worry, Abraham. I won't blow up Sodom and Gomorrah. What? No. Of course Russia won't invade Ukraine either. And hey, COVID is over. Isn't that great? Monkeypox? Nah. Just a few isolated incidents. Yeah, I know there's a lot of gun violence in this country, but if you vote for me, I'll take care of that. No, we don't need to discuss slavery or Jim Crow in history class. I mean, we don't want our kids to feel that. Yeah, I know you can't afford to buy groceries and pay your rent, but trust me, the economy has never been better. And yeah, sure, we failed to hit all of our climate targets and we're ramping up our fossil fuel production, but we are not going to exceed one and a half degrees of warming in the next few years. Okay, two tops. We're going to have this all fixed by around 2070 or so. It's 104 degrees in London, and I know you don't have air conditioning, but don't worry. You got this. Promises, promises. Frankly, I no longer trust the promises of the people who are supposed to be in charge. Now, to be fair, I have a naturally <laughs> rebellious streak. Um, I'm naturally critical of authority, kind of an anti-establishment sort of guy. You know, there's a grumpy teenager inside me that always wants to say, you know, you're not the boss of me, and you're not my real dad. That's why I'm a UCC pastor, you know, I don't want to answer to some bishop. <laughs> but if I'm being honest, I, I don't see any meaningful action happening in the halls of power, any meaningful changes that are designed to actually solve real problems. I'm increasingly concerned that politicians are only worried about their stock portfolios and their campaign contributions and actually holding on to power instead of using that power to address any of the existential problems that we're all facing. In 2018, the futurist writer and philosopher Douglas Rushkoff writes about a troubling experience he'd had the year before. Back in 2017, he was invited to a luxury resort to deliver a keynote speech about the future of technology. Uh, he was supposed to be talking to a group of top-tier hedge fund investors. But rather than delivering a traditional speech at a podium, he was ushered into a small conference room with five or six of the richest men in the world. And these are the same sort of guys that always tout innovation and economic growth and promise that technology will save us from climate collapse. As it turns out, they weren't all that interested in saving the world so much as saving themselves. What they really wanted to know was how they could survive a black swan event, you know, a climate catastrophe, a world-ending virus, a nuclear attack. The single question occupied us for the rest of the hour, he writes. They knew armed guards would be required to protect their compounds from the angry mobs, but how would they pay the guards once money was worthless? What would stop the guards from choosing their own leader? The billionaires considered using special combination locks on the food supply that only they knew, or making guards wear disciplinary collars of some kind in return for their survival. 
or maybe building robots to serve as guards and workers if that technology could be developed in time. And that's when it hit me, Rushkoff concludes. At least as far as these gentlemen were concerned, this was a talk about the future of technology. They were preparing for a digital future that had a whole lot less to do with making the world a better place than it did with transcending the human condition altogether and insulating themselves from a very real and present danger of climate change, rising sea levels, mass migrations, global pandemics, nativist panic, and resource depletion. For them, he writes, the future of technology is really about just one thing, escape. These people have the power and the resources to do some real good. I don't know, maybe invest in solar-powered air conditioning units in India or hydroponic gardens for the hungry. Instead, they're investing in shock collars for their private security force. I'm not interested in following people that only care about themselves or trying to negotiate with them. I no longer care about the promises of the powerful. I only care about the promises of God expressed in the teachings of Christ, who offers no platitudes. Life is hard. And following Jesus, as he tells us, will make it harder, but it will also make it better. Jesus never put much faith in authority figures either, but rather encouraged people to organize their own communities and work out their own salvation. And in the face of a plethora of existential threats, I believe that is the church's Paul now, too. We can't save the whole world. Maybe we can save our part of it. We put our heads and our hearts together and do the things that our leaders can't or won't. If people are hungry, we can feed them. If there are rolling blackouts during heat waves, we could provide cooling centers with the right infrastructure. If there's a housing shortage, we can lobby for local affordable developments, as we're doing right now. This is how, as Jesus teaches, we love our neighbors. Not by blowing them up, but by advocating for their needs, and when advocacy fails, by providing for them ourselves. And if people are feeling helpless and hopeless, as I confess that I often sometimes do, these efforts can give us purpose. And we need that if we're going to survive, too. So I took my cardboard box, filled with the relics of the old world, to a couple of other secondhand shops, and on my third try, I finally found someone willing to give me a good price. It was the best deal I'd gotten since I bought those cowboy boots. I didn't mention this before. Once I'd left the negotiating table and headed for the door, the guy at the shoe store practically begged me to take those spurs off his hands. <laughs> Gratis. You know, you don't always have to accept what's being offered. You don't have to settle for the flimsy platitudes and promises of the powerful because nothing is more powerful than the promises of God. And that is a promise to abide with us, come what may. For I have plans for you, says the Lord in the book of Jeremiah, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Sometimes, Bible gets it right. Amen. Amen.